All right, so here we are. Yes, we've had June-July madness. How have we not covered week one? A thrilling first round of competition. Uh, and, and we've ended here with The Truman Show. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess kind of uh, I, for the record, which I called in round two of week one, you did early in the day, yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, it would be fun to kind of just look back at the uh, the path to the finals, which was the Truman Show versus the Prestige, which was a bit of a surprise to me, as as at least the Prestige was. So the Prestige eked out victory after victory over the Goonies, From Dusk Till Dawn, and Mad Max. Uh, it really kind of upset all these other films. It, it was really a close battle through the week for the prestige each round, I think, which was kind of a surprise. I mean, those are some pretty interesting titles for it to beat out. A lot of Chris Nolan fans out there, though. I mean, that's really, and I don't mean to call any of our fans who are also Chris Nolan fans stupid because my brother-in-law is one of those. Um, Those are smart movies. I just don't, like, we have some options for you. Listener, we've brought you meat, lots of filler, uh, lots of killer, no filler. Uh, And you pick the damned prestige, over some of the other movies we put up against it, for shame. I for think, shame, I say. And I think Mad Max making it that far was a big surprise to me. I thought that Mad was Max really would be out thrilling. Early. I can't tell you how happy it made me to see. And look, I am just being sore that Mad Max got bumped out by the Prestige, but it made the final round easier. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to have to vote against Mad Max. But yeah, I was really thrilled to watch that Arthur. I'll let you get more into the numbers there, but that was. I kind of called it as a lark when we kind of talked pregame last week. I was shocked at how far Mad Max made it. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I t- on the other side of the bracket, I was uh, impressed that Dark City was making as far as it did. And once it did, I kind of thought, well, that's going to be the one because, I mean, it's, it's got all the meat and all the material and all of that to go with it. Look, Dark City beat out Shrek. Uh, and I think that's saying something to Dark City. I truly am... Because we know the meme vote was out in full force. Uh, although Hayden, uh, good good friend of mine here in Oklahoma City, Hayden, uh, part of our, our art scene when there's one going on, uh, made the case it's a good movie. And I'm not the only one that made that argument. And I would say, like, I think we'd have found something to talk about with Shrek. Sure. I just, eh, but to see Dark City, yeah, it was nice to see the, the love come out for that one. Uh, well, I think I, there's a lot of Dark City fans who did not want to see the the meme movie beat their their beloved cult uh uh emerald yeah well I, I tell you what i was glad that shrek didn't win but for only one real reason and that's because we'd mm. already done onward and a lot <laughs> that's of true a lot of what i was going to be having to do i think would go back to that so for you shrek fans out there um i would say listen to our onward episode uh, a few weeks back or a few months back at this point who knows anymore who knows time is a construct. i will st- I, that is true. I will say the the thing that Shrek gets us that Onward doesn't get us uh, is how damn horny those DreamWorks animation movies are. Uh, DreamWorks animation, man, it's like 70s Disney over there. Uh, there's just a hidden dick in every corner. Uh, so, you know, Onward just, you know, we talked about kind of the, the human relationships of Onward feeling a little off and i think with shrek we would have gotten to get into like the weird minutiae there in some fun ways yeah i i think there would definitely have been different things to talk about but i think a lot a lot of similar veins in that postmodern fairy tale kind of thing you know it would be where my brain would turn anyway and so i was kind of glad not to have to rehash that so thanks voters yeah so taking us to the other side of the bracket uh was the truman show which uh had extremely strong performances uh, against uh, kiss kiss bang bang uh beetlejuice ultimately 
uh, Dark City, which was a matchup I was really looking forward to. Those are two movies. They're two sides of the same coin. I think they're an interesting pair. Uh, and, you know, I long ago wanted to do like a double sode where we talked about both of them because they have such similar narrative constructs and narrative trappings and kind of two philosophical sides of, of that coin. And to that point, I think when we get later in this episode and start to talk about Andrew Nichols, like original screenplay for The Truman Show, uh, those Dark City comparisons and through lines become even more apparent because uh, the original Truman Show sounds a lot more like Dark City in, in some pretty interesting ways. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, thematically, and I said this, you know, in the, the results, and if you were on Twitter watching this all unfold, you saw this. Uh, but yeah, I, seeing that matchup, I'm right there with you, Arthur. That was just like thematically fun. It was a cool way to end week one of this tournament. Like, it, it was really great. Again, I, I didn't want to have to vote against Mad Max uh, or the Truman Show for that matter, because I probably would have voted Mad Max. Uh, I was really excited to talk about that. Uh, especially after Marathon Man, which I know I mentioned last week I was excited about, just got absolutely bodied by Dark City in the opening <laughs> round. Just absolutely smashed. Uh, one of, uh, you know, look, we had some blowouts, but that was a, a brutal, a brutal contest to watch. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was excited to see this. This is where Prestige uh, and the Truman Show, or I'm sorry, the Dark City versus uh, the Truman Show was so fun. Uh, it was so fun that I forgot we had the prestige after that, which I still don't care about. <laughs> yeah, I think some of our listeners are thankful the prestige didn't make it. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as stats, I think, you know, overall Truman Show had the strongest performance uh, of the tournament. It uh, won at all of its uh, matchups, at least at the 62% or above. Wow. Uh, it routed, as you say, uh, you know, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, uh, 71% to 22% or 28%. And so, you know, good for Truman Show. Uh, and then that uh, closest win was Shrek over The Rock, which was like a half percentage uh, difference. Yikes. Could have completely changed the unfolding of the tournament because The, the Rock gets absolutely knocked out uh, of round two. Uh, there, there's just no chance it makes it through. Uh, so, yeah, Shrek uh, coming up against Dark City. Uh, was very interesting, but I think Dark City would have walked all over the rock. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think that momentum could have changed things in the voting. Yeah. Uh, who can be sure? So that's week one's breakdown. We're going to talk about week two at the end of this show. But Dustin, I think it's uh, your turn. Hello, everybody. And welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film says course. We've been doing that already. And uh, we're here to talk about The Truman Show as you have voted, dear listeners. This is your selection. I am still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. And I am still Dalton, uh, the sweaty Harry Carey of this production. Hi. <laughs> Harry Carey. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, The Truman Show here in just a little bit. Now, to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And so if you have not seen The Truman Show, we are going to give away the spoilers at the end. But we'll avoid that for the first part of the show. We'll have a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free, I hope. Uh, we'll have uh, you know thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Very, very, very gentle in the spoiler categories. And then we move on into a little uh, thought exercise called Expanding the Syllabus, in which there may be mild spoilers there as well. Finally, we get down to business. There's kicking music to let you know that that's going to happen. And once that occurs, all spoiler bets are off. So, everybody understand what's going to happen? Know the rules of the game? We know what we're doing? I think so. How, how we're playing this thing? Okay, good. Uh, yes, who should I... I'm sorry, I have a question real quickly. Who should I alert if I have a, a bathroom emergency? Um, your trousers. Uh, okay, cool, I cool, sent cool. that bottle over for you. I hope you can make use of it. 
Uh, excellent. I'm glad we've got um, Dalton's urine taken care of. Now, without any further ado, let's talk about a synopsis. Arthur, do you have one of those? I do. Peter Ware's ever-prescient reflection on celebrity, television, and societal trends landed in the summer of 98. A strong financial success, The Truman Show offered one of Jim Carrey's more serious, layered performances of the time. Truman Burbank, the first orphan adopted by a corporation, has literally grown up in front of the cameras. He is the unknowing star of a 24-7 mixed reality show. All of his friends, family, and loved ones are actors cued to meet his every need and whim. As he nears his 30th birthday, strange things begin happening, causing Truman to question his reality and identity. Nominated for a slew of awards, including three Academy Awards and six Golden Globes, and winning three of those Globes, The Truman Show has cemented itself as one of the most beloved prophetic movies of the 90s. Nice. I think that's a very good synopsis. Let's go ahead and hear those thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. What do you say, Dalton? Do you like The Truman Show? Well, I think Truman's success in the tournament does definitely do a lot to to like just just speak to the the enduring appeal of this film. Um, I, I it's definitely we're we're gonna get into like the prescientness of this film. Um, here's a big brave bold take for me that nobody's ever said before. This movie sure does uh, say a lot about reality TV, huh? Uh, yeah you've heard that ta- i know you've heard that take a lot but i think the the thing that's interesting about truman which doesn't really predict reality tv the, re- the real world's on before this show comes on uh, i i think what truman actually does is provide us like a really useful jumping off point for looking at reality television as it exists today uh, i think looking at a, a film that is kind of birthed that look it, industry people talk to each other right like film people knew about reality shows becoming a thing before they were really a thing obviously again with the real world like i already mentioned but like you know there's a groundswell things bubble from cable to network right like so this this is in the ether and i think it is so much more interesting where andrew nichols screenplay and peter weir's production get us in in terms of questioning reality television as a format as a medium um we're probably going to talk about a lot of those things throughout the show and i don't uh, I don't know. Like I just made the, as I made earlier in the show, the joke about listeners who might like Nolan, don't feel dunked on if you like reality television. It is fascinating uh, to watch unfold, both like psychologically and sociologically speaking. So obviously, like as far as my bread and butter goes, that's good stuff. That's good entertainment. Uh, but there's a lot of problems. And I think Truman very wisely sees a lot of those problems on the horizon before they are even breathed into existence and i find that interesting uh outside of those just like thematic things that i enjoy it opens great and it ends great truman uh the truman show has a perfect inciting incident dramatically speaking based on like if you accept the framework of its narrative it has an absolutely spectacular inciting incident and it has a truly lights out perfect final line i don't think i've ever seen a final line in a film land quite as well as this one does. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. I don't want to be, uh, you know, look, you've probably seen this movie on cable before, but it might've been a while since you watched it. So we'll, we'll avoid spoilers now. All I want to say is, uh, man, I do like that ending. Uh, is, has it got problems? Yeah. I think the ad read, like Noah Emmerich and, uh, Laura Linney are both, Laura Linney especially are both great. At the ad read stuff. Um, and like the dual work that the film requires them to do uh, as like actors within Truman's life. I think they get the most meat as far as like direction and screenplay and screen time goes to do both roles. Um, but I, th- there's a joke that they go to about how ad, ad reads work out of 
people closest to him's mouths. And I feel like just like from a structurally speaking, like a comedy standpoint, there's too many too soon. Uh, there's like three in the first 15 minutes. I clocked it because it really bothered me. So I check run times when we got to the third one. Uh, I don't know. I think the wraparound on that, again, I think unpacking how that bit like comes to a, a dramatic conclusion is too good to spoil here uh, in review. So I will say, you know, like it, it brings it back around uh, and that's good. And basically every issue you could have with this film kind of comes down to a, well, I wish they maybe had brought that up earlier or less early, or uh, I, I wish X, Y, or Z was addressed differently. The only issues you can take with this film are kind of nitpicky, truly. And by nitpicky, I mean things as like, you know, messing with the, uh, troubling yourself too much over the rules of this world. Uh, because I think when this film uh, engages with the rules of its world, it does have a very interesting focus. And like, it knows the right questions that should be asked uh, about the rules of this world. And I, I think they all make sense, especially things like bathroom breaks and such, and the editing of Truman's life, which uh, the film, uh, well, we'll talk more about how the film operates as multiple texts when we get into analysis. Uh, I think that's a good uh, place to end things for my review. Uh, because I really can't, I don't know that I can talk about this film any further without us really cracking it open. I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about the nuts and bolts of it. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dolenstert. What do you say, Arthur Gordon? Do you like The Truman Show? I love The Truman Show. I, I, I love it with all my heart. It's it's probably an all-timer for me. I think it's just a, a great uh, film uh, that's as, as timely today as it was in 98 when it came out. And kind of you can grow with it in, in a number of ways. Uh, I, I to Dalton's point, you know that opening inciting incident is really great, and I also love that this film kind of opens up with Truman in the midst of this personal crisis already. He's already got these questions. He's already seeking answers, and, and it really just kind of becomes, uh, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back in in a lot of ways. And one too many things malfunction uh, in a row, uh, which kind of really pushes him down that rabbit hole even further. And so I think that's a great way to frame this and set this up. Um, and it does a great job, I think, catching us up to where Truman is at this point in his life uh, throughout the film and not dumping that all at once. But we get that great uh, bit with Kristoff later in the film about how they pick uh, Truman and his college days. And, and that's also naturally, I think, weaved in. And I think to Dalton's point, when we probably talk a little bit more about the structure and the metatextual nature of this film, we might get into that a little more. I love the the design of this film. I, I love that uh, Sea Haven has this uh, TV set artifice to it, but if you grew up on a TV set, you wouldn't realize it. Mm -hmm. But it very much looks like a set, and I think that's a fascinating thing, especially a set out of the fifties. Truman watches a lot of fifties shows. His he loves I Love Lucy and all that stuff, and so it's very fitting that this town would have that same feel. It's, this uh, city out of time and I think it's really interesting um, the the little details the unus pro omnibus omnes pro uno uh, city motto all for one one for all uh, is a really clever little nod there uh, in Sea Haven um, the diegesis itself playing with diegesis the scoring of this film uh, all occurs within uh, Christoph's lab uh, all the score that we hear is being generated by the uh, the keyboardist there, and I think that's a really fun uh, bit. Played by Philip Glass, who actually did do some co composing for this film. That's yeah. really cool. Uh, and then also yeah. the uh, the adderies, like say, I, I, that kind of stab at product placement of the late 90s, I think is, you know, I, it works for me, and I could see Dalton's point where it's a bit overused early, but I, I think it's a really fun bit. 
that they use. And I think the payoff is is really interesting as well. I've tried other Cocos. This is the best. <laughs> <laughs> Which also has that 50s feel. You know, those old TV shows, you would just kind of slip those things in naturally like that. And you didn't have the ad breaks like we know them today. And so I think that's another nod to the traditional nature well, some, of Sea Haven. Yeah, something I wish I had remembered to, to mention in my review, Arthur, is... Uh, speaking to those commercials there's even like a borrowing of the visual language of commercials both from the 50s and the 90s like those quick like kind of low angle zoom ins yep uh like the act the affected like eye popping from some of our actors on the ad reads like it's weird knows what he's up to as yeah. far as like the direction of his film and like yeah everybody is on board with uh with the the metatextual stuff that you've already touched on uh, I think uh, Ware does a great job with Jim Carrey. I think this is one of Jim Carrey's strongest performances, and I think it's because Ware knows how to rein him in so that when he does get to do his over-the-top thing, it fits the character in the narrative. We, we see him kind of slowly become more Jim Carrey outbursty as uh, he goes mad, essentially, and by the end of the film, he's kind of full-throttle Jim Carrey uh, until that final act, I think. And so I think... He does a great job here, uh, as I said, his wears direction, navigating that line between drama and comedy and the satire works really well. Nichols' script, uh, it's, it's just so layered, and there's so many ways you can read this film. Depending on where you come at it from, you can put it under a number of analytical scholarly lenses, uh, you know, psychoanalysis, uh, philosophical theology, um, structural, anything you want to talk about. When you talk about diegesis, you talk about the building blocks of, of filmmaking or, or storytelling. And Truman Show is really kind of a catch-all for film studies, I think, and is a great text in that regard. Uh, so I, I, I love this movie quite a bit. I enjoyed revisiting it here. Um, I, I really don't have much else to say. I think you know Dalton pointed out, yeah, you could probably pick and pick and choose things that are issues or problematic, but I think it works. And I think the world that it builds operates incredibly well uh, as as it should uh, i think of you know the idea of he has to go to the hospital to see uh lord lenny and the doctors are just like okay what do we do uh when they have to perform that surgery and i think that's just a great bit and like everything like that feels so th thought through in those small moments absolutely yeah the place the places where you you realize like what the production within the film has not thought of. Yeah. Those moments are truly spectacular. Dustin, how did this land for you? I am assuming you've seen this as before as well. I have seen it before. I really love this movie. I, I mean, and I will just talk about it just purely as a cinematic experience. Um, Jim Carrey's performance is great. Laura Linney is great. Um, everybody is great in the movie. Uh, the, the Ed Harris as Kristoff is fantastically abstract and distant and, um, you know, curiously full of, uh, you know, contradictions. And that's fascinating. And I love all that kind of stuff. And you've already mentioned that the design of the film itself, that sort of 50s world design, it, it seems to anticipate even some of the uh, sort of uh, Bay Area um, locales of like a Moonrise Kingdom, Wes Anderson kind of film. It feels very, very close to something along those lines. And then just to wrestle with these issues of television and the watching and the viewing and being seen all of that stuff working together is is really really fascinating to me and i just i find it just a immensely entertaining film and engaging um just to watch and so in terms of review i'm just gonna say i like it i, I think it's a lot of fun it's definitely worth watching and as far as analysis goes when we get to it there's a lot to be said and uh, so there's a lot of meat on that particular bone even if you just go into freshman 
philosophy and start talking about Plato in his cave. Uh, there's tons of stuff to be found there, uh, and it goes on and just sort of uh, you know flowers out from that central point there. And so, yeah, I, I won't say any more than that, other than just say it's it's perfectly executed. Uh, Peter Weir is a great filmmaker, and uh, that's that's definitely to show here. Even though this is a very very Hollywood kind of star vehicle uh, that he's working with here, unlike say Picnic at Hanging Rock or something like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, enjoy it thoroughly, and uh, I'm glad that we're doing it here on the show. So there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts. They are very pro regarding the Truman Show. Let's do the thought exercise. You're teaching a class. I don't know what class it is. I don't know what subject it is. I don't know what discipline it is. You have to tell me all of those things, and then you have to expand the syllabus around the film The Truman Show with additional films, television shows, readings, or uh, other viewings of whatever you have in mind, and uh, have a discussion about that. What would it look like in your mind as you uh, participate in this thought experiment? I go to you first, Arthur. What does the syllabus look like with The Truman Show for you? Yeah, so I think this lands in a film theory or film analysis class, maybe even an introduction to those concepts. And I want to go with The Artifice of the Screen. Uh, And I want to talk uh, a little bit with Jean-Louis Baudry and talk the ideological effects of the basic cinematographic apparatus. It's a lot of title. Uh, And so I I want to talk there. He, He goes into the camera obscura, talks depth, realism, space, projection as illusion, uh, its role in ideological shaping, uh, and the theater itself, the audience uh, is placement within the mirror stage and maybe get into some Lacan there and talk uh, about how those concepts all uh, work together. Uh, from there, I want to build a module examining audience expectation and participation with the text. You know, this movie itself is layered metatextually several layers deep. It's much like Shrek, much like Onions. Uh, it's got layers. And so it's got ogres. It's got ogres. This movie's got ogres. Uh, so I think the first viewings we'll do with this class actually are going to be uh, Blazing Saddles, The Holy Mountain, and The Holy Grail. Uh, oh, hell yeah, dude. I was writing it down. I was writing <laughs> Go Off King down to show you in the webcam. But you said those three films, and I just got so excited I couldn't contain myself. This Arthur, you're a genius. Your students would be lucky to have you. Yeah, and so I want to talk, you know, how we deal with audience expectations and and those films deal, uh, for the most part, obviously Holy Mountain's much more surreal, but uh, Blazing Saddles and uh, Holy Grail both have this straightforward narrative uh, filled with absurdism, obviously. They're both comedy satires, uh, but they end by pulling the rug out from the audience, just like the Holy Mountain does, and I think they are three birds of a feather in that regard. Uh, From there, I want to move into an examination of audience examination, and this is going to be some of that mirror stage stuff and fascination with artifice as reality, wherein the mirror is turned to the audience as their participation uh, within the entertainment business is examined. And so uh, that's where I'm going to put The Truman Show and its uh, its pair film, uh, Ed TV, with Matthew McConaughey and Ellen DeGeneres, I think. And hey, Ellen? Yes. One of the two. And Woody Harrelson as well. Yeah. Uh, I believe. Yeah, that's right, because that's where they started hanging out together. Yeah, uh, I think was that movie. So that's the other kind of the le- you know that's uh, the illusionist to the prestige, if you will. It, it's uh, the Truman Show, and then there's Ed TV over there as well. Uh, but those yeah, your both, Armageddon's to your deep impacts. Yeah, both of those films hit around the same time, uh, covering a similar ground, and I think that's just a really interesting aspect. And uh, I think that the Truman Show does a great job of, and it's been a long time since I've seen Ed TV, but the Truman Show does a great job of pulling in how the audience around the country at least is engaging with the Truman show, how 
they kind of feel comforted enough to be lulled to sleep by Truman or they root for him or they bet against him. And I think that's just a really interesting dynamic that so many people, you know, really do get involved with when they're watching these, you know, whether it's a singing competition or a dating competition or Survivor, any of these kind of reality TV shows that just swept uh, network TV starting around the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, I think the Truman Show and Ed TV both really did a good job of kind of prophesying what that would look like in, in the long run. Uh, and finally, uh, I want to move into a dialectical synthesis of where those two ideas merge of creating uh, this fascinating discourse on spectatorship and ideology, the entertainment industry, authorship, authorial intent, uh, auteurism. And I'm going to end this uh, class with One Cut of the Dead, uh, which uh, just when you think you've got all of the answers, it changes the questions, and then it does it again uh, in many of the same ways as uh, Blazing Saddles or Holy Grail, but also while dealing with the many of the same questions that The Truman Show does. And so I think that's kind of a perfect synthesis of all of these concepts combined and a good place to bring this home. And so that would be my course, uh, my syllabus for this this film. That sounds awesome. I'm all about that. You know, and I love the Holy Mountain anyway. So, you know, I, you knew you had me there. Anyway, yeah, it was your pal. fault we watched that. So. Yeah, so um, and you, you said dialectical engagement. And so, yeah, you had all my buttons going. There. I know the search keywords that Dustin likes. Yeah, he, he turned me on real hard. Um, so thank you for that, Arthur. Um, what are you going to do, Dalton, uh, if you're going to expand the syllabus? Well, I'm, it's very exciting to hear Arthur's syllabus because uh, mine is very similar. Uh, it will not be a, a film studies class, though. We are going to go ahead and take Arthur's questions one step further and say, what happens when all of these questions do, in fact, enter the real? What, hey, guys, what happens when people stop being nice and they start being real? Uh, it's the real world. Uh, th this is the, the class where all of these simulations and sim simulacra uh, rear their ugly heads. We won't be getting a full tinfoil hat on this one if you wanted that you should have voted for marathon man and to hear me rant about operation paperclip but we wow. will say some interesting things about society as we have constructed it within this class uh if that's troubling to you i'm very sorry it turns out we just made these rules up together as we went they did not just happen they didn't come out of nowhere something that arthur has touched on with the explosion of pop popularity for reality television like right well exactly right 20 years ago as this show, this film is kind of entering basic cable rotation uh, as Survivor, Bachelor, all these other shows that have now gone on to basically be the only thing other than sports that keep broadcast TV in business. Uh, it is very interesting. Uh, so we're going to look at a couple of real world examples, and I think we'll definitely start with the Truman Show. Uh, but we are also going to be watching uh, so, uh, probably not the full season, but definitely an extension, extended amount of the Joe Schmo show. Uh, say that five times fast. It was on uh, Spike TV once upon a time. They did two seasons of it. That's now the Paramount Network for you Zoomers out there. I don't know. I, haven't, I think that's what it is. I haven't had cable in a while. Yeah, time. I think you're right. Okay. Uh, Formerly so anyway, TNN, the Nashville Network. Oh, God, that's right. Uh, we, we were still too poor to afford cable when it was TNN. <laughs> uh, we didn't get we didn't get Spike uh, cable till after Spike was a thing. Uh, so yeah, the Joe Schmo show is literally the Truman Show. It was a reality show that you watched at home, populated entirely by actors except for one contestant who did not know that they were on a reality show. It is the plot of this film, and I think it, it is it is an 
endlessly useful text uh, because already in, I want to say 2003 or four, uh, I should have written this down for my notes. The, the idea of archetypes within reality shows had already kind of entered the consciousness because each of the actors was assigned an archetype that they were playing in the fiction of the show because these archetypes already started to form. Uh, and if, as you hear people who are involved in the production side of reality television talk about reality television, it becomes truly upsetting. I will probably also use a little bit of the uh, television show that was on Lifetime, got moved to Netflix or Hulu, uh, Unreal. Uh, it's got a former Buffy writer and a former producer from, uh, I want to say Bachelor, Bachelorette proper. Yeah, I don't think it was one of the knockoffs. I think it is OG Bachelor Nation um, giving us the receipts. Uh, so yeah, Unreal is, is a just okay. I, I've heard of, of seasons two and three, but I really like the first season, uh, the only one that I've seen. Uh, that does get into the nitty-gritty of what it is like to work on a reality dating competition and how gross it is and how producers talk about the people that are participating within the events. Uh, it, it is a, a very interesting. And again, I think we can use these two texts to kind of frame, all right, wh where do we end up with all of this? I think we're also going to have to talk a little bit about uh, Truman Syndrome or the Truman Show Delusion, uh, which is a, a thing that has been recorded all over the English-speaking world, uh, but uh, there are multiple cases in um, uh, Australia and uh, definitely a couple in New York. Uh, it's ex essentially exactly what it sounds like. It is a manifestation of uh, paranoid schizophrenia uh, in which the sufferer thinks that they're in the Truman Show or a Truman Show or their Truman Show, as the case may be. Uh, and uh, there's actually an episode. Uh, boy, I know it's always boring when people recommend things from public radio listener. Uh, but there is an episode of This American Life uh, from June 2014. Uh, it's episode 529 if you want to go give it a listen. Uh, that opens with uh, an interview with one of the psychiat admitting psychiatrists at Bellevue in New York who actually got some of these people coming in the door and talked to them and did therapy with them. And the episode itself uh, doesn't really get a whole lot into uh, that. Um, it is more stories uh, th that are kind of of a piece with that. But I think it's useful to look at you know, the ideas contained within the Truman Show of challenging your reality um, and the reality that is portrayed for Truman are, are things that are very relatable uh, to the human experience. I think it's part of why the film resonates. And I think if your brain has uh, got a couple of wires crossed, I think entering this film into that equation uh, certainly would uh, make things manifest in a certain way. So I think that that is just really interesting to talk about the way that this film has echoed out into the world. Um, I think we'll also look at uh, the season three, episode four, uh, season three, episode four of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Josh's ex-girlfriend is crazy, uh, particularly uh, the song End of the Movie featuring Josh Groban, which is kind of tying all of these together. So I think we'll kind of look at some of these reality shows, uh, Truman Show bleeding into the real world first. And then we'll kind of look at uh, television kind of turning around uh, and asking some questions of itself. Uh, again, I think this episode is useful and this show in particular is useful. Uh, is that intersection point between uh, self-delusion uh, and self-delusion and narrative fiction? Uh, as this episode so wisely points out, life is just a series of random events, listener. It doesn't make any narrative sense whatsoever. Uh, and whatever meaning you try to subscribe, subscribe or upscribe, whichever you want to do, uh, life will find a way to, uh, you know, throw your preconceived notions out the window. Uh, I think that that's fair, a fair assessment, I would say, uh, for anybody who's lived a life. 
Uh, and I, I think this episode is really good for that. And then we'll kind of loop back around and we'll look at some real world stuff. I caught up with the 2020 documentary Spaceship Earth, uh, which is another story of a constructed reality uh, and how those multiple layers and levels of reality eventually end up overcomplicating things to the point of driving people mad. Uh, and I think we'll probably also uh, do some readings uh, of uh, over uh, the Branch Davidians and Jonestown. Uh, I think looking at cults that end in death uh, are useful when we're talking about constructed realities uh, because, again, it allows us to have these same conversations. There are those who are living within the constructed reality, uh, those who are living outside of the constructed reality, and those of us in the middle who are trying to make all of these groups understand each other. Uh, because I think when you talk about uh, cults or mentally ill or whoever has created a story for themselves that they're living within, uh, I think when you try to impose reality as you see it or as we have agreed upon uh, as, a, as a mass uh, on to these groups, you're just going to freak people out. I mean, we've seen, we've seen the, the results of that uh, a couple of times throughout history, which is not to say that uh, you should always uh, not take dangerous people seriously. It is to say that you should try to understand everyone because it makes it easier to communicate ideas across uh, disparate uh, belief systems um, and different realities as becomes relevant. So that's the class. It's, it's going to be heady. It's going to be weird. We're going to read about lots of sad stuff, but uh, I think it's going to take some of Arthur's class's ideas uh, and show how media and real life do intersect and do influence each other and uh, how we're writing reality from within it in some very interesting ways. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, what I want to do is sort of a, a postmodern uh, screen studies class is what I would use a Truman Show for. And uh, in a section here, and I mean, th there's a bleed over. I mean, I'm thinking of a much bigger course, but in the sort of module that we're in, mostly emphasizing television, although I have one uh, reading text that's going to be a bit more cinema oriented and uh, thinking about just uh, the self-aware television program. Um, and I'd go back, first of all, to Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And, uh, you know, how he would make these uh, little j jabs at uh, the advertising that would go on with it. And uh, the Tom McCarthy film from 2009, Double Take, in which uh, Alfred Hitchcock plays Alfred Hitch. Well, there's an actor playing Alfred Hitchcock, and maybe there's a real Alfred Hitchcock in there. And a lot of discussion about product placement and uh, what's going on in sort of the post-Cold War or during the Cold War uh, 50s television which I think speaks to a lot of what's going on in the Truman Show. Um, then I'm going to do a little Aaron Sorkin and go to the newsroom, uh, because it is a fictitious sort of story about uh, a newsroom, but there's real-life news most of the time, but not always, that is part of that conversation. And again, this is a television program about a television program, which is sort of about real life, sometimes and kind of sometimes not about those kind of things and and sort of engaging in that conversation all the way around and again just this sort of idea of this winking nudging um sort of self-awareness uh as part of what postmodernism is all about um lastly i want to mention f scott fitzgerald's uh novel the last tycoon which is a uh, loosely based on the life of louis b mayer and uh, the way in which uh, he's um, engaging in his life as a uh, Hollywood producer. And so using all of those texts, again, sort of in this sort of self-aware, fictionalized, but yet also quasi-real life uh, bit of, uh, of uh, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just a conceit, a gesture 
uh, as a film. And so the ways in which uh, Truman Show gestures at a real world and a real life uh, in, a, in a very, very sort of encapsulated, hermetically sealed, fictionalized universe and the way that expands into Hitchcock as a real person who is the host of a television program, but also playing this fictitious version of himself, Louis B. Mayer, uh, being a real-life person who's not actually the last tycoon of the last tycoon, but he is the last tycoon of the last tycoon. And then, of course, uh, Will McAvoy and the fictional world of the newsroom, which is engaging in the real-world news of, um, you know, what, 18 months before uh, the air dates of those particular uh, television programs on HBO. So uh, just having those kind of conversations I think would be interesting and uh, an interesting discussion of postmodernism in general. So that's how I would approach The Truman Show. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got a bit longer. Uh, I guess now we ought to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. You know, a lot of people don't like uh, the newsroom, but I thought Jeff Daniels played Aaron Sorkin very well. I, I think he did too, and he is playing Aaron Sorkin, and he's yeah, pretty. Oh yeah, yeah, for awful, sure, awful right? Person, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a surrogate for himself. He wrote himself into that because yeah. that's the kind of person Aaron Sorkin is. Uh, which, look, I'm not a man of letters or distinction. I've got but one the the one lowly undergraduate degree. But some people would say that that's bad writing. Uh, particularly bad fiction writing, especially bad film writing. Uh, I'm not one of those people. Again, I'm I'm a lowly lowly man of a uh, of a uh, you know social sciences. Uh, it's bad writing. Uh, moving right along, I'll go ahead and say it. Um, I will live there. But I I do think the conceit itself is interesting and the conversation. Well, we all like Aaron Sorkin to some degree, which is an interesting thing about him. Yeah, his self inserts. You, you yeah, he, he writes entertaining stuff. You know, it's it's you know you you're engaged whether you like it or not. Just don't think hey, about speaking it of speaking of things within things within things, uh, I guess we should talk about how uh, the Truman Show is commercial. The show, the movie, uh, <laughs> because it is very much about how they made a TV show that you could buy everything on, uh, as much as it is about you know a person whose life is a show and they don't know. Well, I mean, I guess you have to find a way to finance this twenty four seven operation with five thousand cameras, the second largest man made. Uh, object from space and yeah we well, uh, got no commercials right so yeah, they've got their own economy somehow uh which is just unfathomable but maybe not that far from fathomable i mean in 2020 the truman show seems like a uh a certainty uh it is a question of if sir not when uh other way around you know what i'm saying uh because it is so upsetting because it is so exploitative um and i don't know that we need to like devote multiple sections of the show to like covering or to the analysis of this film, I should say, to covering all the ways in which it's exploitative because uh, let's, I mean, you know, he's got a friend, a mom and a, and a wife who are constantly gaslighting him. But outside of that, uh, it, it is exploitative in the way it treats its audience. For sure. Uh, in some ways, the life it's selling them. And it's frustrating the way that occurs. And I mean, just think about you know other films, other you know media texts that we engage in. I, I re recently rewatched Get Out not very long ago, and the Windows equipment, you know, the Microsoft stuff that is being used throughout that film is really, really irritating in an otherwise excellent movie. And I just, it, man, I hate it. it just the makes Will, the Will Smith effect uh, of the early aughts. <laughs> The, the king of the product placement blockbuster uh, at the time. All the Pepsi, all the Sony, all that fun stuff. 
Well, yeah, Michael Bay uh, really is, is, you know, if we're talking about uh, vulgar auteurs, uh, especially vulgar commercial auteurs, man, say that five times fast. Lots of hard word combos today. Michael Bay sure can get your fucking Pepsi in a shot. I'll tell you what, uh, you want that Coke machine uh, behind, behind the lead? It's going to happen. Sometimes he'll even have the Coke machine save his lead. Uh, he's, he's a master of it. <laughs> it is a skill. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's... Here's the thing that is, is really interesting, I guess, and it is kind of where we get to the 1998-1999, uh, get ready to take the friggin' red pill, bro. Uh, all of this is a lie. They've created what Kristoff uh, thinks is a perfect uh, white uh, American life for Truman, and we have to assume that history has been sanitized in this world because if Truman knew anything uh, of, of history like there's no way this world would be able to contain him there's just no way so they're, they've definitely like edited what Truman is allowed access to within uh, Sea Haven Seaport Sea Haven Sea Haven okay uh, it is I don't know it, it's interesting when you think about both created and assigned identities right like Truman's final kind of to Christoph is you never had a camera inside my brain. Uh, and that really is, as I said, you know, the thing that's exploitative to the audience is this, this lie they're being sold. The happiest life that they could build for Truman could not contain him. He knew it was a lie and he wanted out desperately. And that really is what all of these movies of the late nineties are about in some way or another uh, is that we have come to the end of history and nine 11 hasn't happened yet. So we haven't had our society completely shaken up. Uh, and we talk about this all the time on the show, but we do come to a point in culture where culture is starting to say, this sure does seem unsatisfying, doesn't it, everybody? Uh, and sure, you could blame uh, the prevalence of those films on uh, you know, dissatisfied uh, workers like myself uh, now in their 30s. Uh, but I don't know. I don't really think either you can blame media for this one, folks. I think uh, media just saw the problem before we got there. Uh, because that, that really is the, the real thief in the night, uh, listener, is that uh, all the money you could accumulate, uh, all of that consumer culture that America can feed you, all that white supremacy that you will ingest by extension, uh, that's the devil, y'all. It's, it will not make you happy. It will not satisfy you. You too, like Truman, will need to blow up your existence to get right with yourself. Uh, and that's what's being sold to Truman's audience, is uh, his bathtub and his his weird clown clothes that Kristoff dresses his, his little man doll in. It's a very upsetting reality. And that really resonated. You know, I've always just kind of enjoyed this film at a surface level, but I was really horrified by the Truman show in a way. I don't think I have been before on this watch. I have a question. Just what we prefer aesthetically, you know, cause we, we all talk about how much we hate product placement, but what do we think of when um, the labels and the brands are faked? Um, when we sort of engage with that kind of, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll jump on a computer and it's like, um, you know, web search engine, you know, generic name, yeah. you know, or, or whatever that they do. And it's, that's also in a weird way, noticeable. I, I yeah, I, I think for, obviously I think in the Truman show it works, right? I, I think, having actual product placement in here is really a have its cake and eat it too type of thing. And it doesn't it really undercuts what the movie's trying to do. But I agree. I, I do sometimes, you know, watching a mystery or a horror film and they get on ask your uncle.com to, to find this. And it's like, I, I don't know. Like yeah. I, I can, I can see that. But at the same time, I don't need to see them, you know, 
drinking a Coke with a, a Sony phone and a Sony computer. And I, I think there can be that balance where you, you kind of make it as discreet as possible um, because I think it does add a level of realism to what you're trying to convey. Right. Um, but I, I think it I just has that. to be a balance. Yeah, I love the in-world. It, it makes you feel like you're somewhere other than real life. I like the in-world continuity of it, to, to Arthur's point. And I am fascinated by the production design aspect of creating fake brands. Uh, you, you might have noticed on some of your favorite television programs, listener, that you see a lot of the same brands of fake chips and fake beer. Uh, it's because there's a company that makes them uh, for, for, for TV shows. Uh, huh. But I am fascinated by that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you can. There's there's databases of which fake brands have been used on which sitcoms. I shop at Aldi's, and 90% of the Aldi brands look like uh, they are the made-for-TV brands. Well, Arthur, that's because that's the beauty of it, right? These made-for-TV brands are meant to look pretty damn close to real-world logos, and you're only ever seeing them, like, for a second or in the back of a frame. So, like, I you know, love, it is really – you have to look to see that it's a fake brand. I love cool dance gourmetos. I really do. <laughs> I was going to just say uh, yeah, this sh- about the Truman Show, though, itself. You know, we've got the sort of fake products that are being placed as sort of a Nicaraguan, you know, uh, hot cocoa and this sort of uh, pale ale beer that um, Marlon is drinking. Ooh, that's a fine beer or whatever. But also, the new cars that everyone drives are Fords. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the, the, it's the, produ- the, it, the yeah. movie itself is doing the thing that yeah. it's making, totally. you know, a joke about it's doing that because everyone's new car is a Ford Escort or a Ford Ranger. And, uh, you know, there is a one old Volkswagen that shows up at one point in the film, but that's, that's with a dent of, in the fender with a dent in the fender with a dent in the fender. It's and a lemon. So yeah, but Fords, you know, that's going to be a high quality automobile. And yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the cocoa Dustin, uh, cause it does kind of keep, we're still kind of talking about the exploitation of this film, but that, that was the joke, obviously, uh, you know, now that we're out of spoiler territory, it's, you know, that's the one, that's the wraparound. It is Laura Linney giving what is truly an astonishing moment of, of performance. She has to do this ad read and make it a good ad read while selling that her, the actress playing Truman's wife is straight up terrified to do the ad read. And it is again, recentering these questions of, the exploitation of the the reality of the Truman Show within the film. The, it is really a problem that show within the show has the same name as the movie. It would be much more useful if we could call one of them. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call it Truman's Fun Time Hour when I'm talking about the show within the movie. Okay. Just to, to clarify, because I'm, I'm using my hands to demonstrate to the two of you, and that's not useful for listening. I understand during Truman's Fun Time Hour, they just cut to a wind blowing through the curtains. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I love the the selfie square uh, of Truman while they're running ads yeah. and like reminding you how you can buy the best of tapes or whatever. Uh, but yeah, this whole production, like Truman's biggest, saddest moments, you can buy those as a best of reel. And Laura Linney, after being like put in life, potentially life or death situations with her husband, who isn't sure if he's actually in a life or death situation, has to read ad copy. And then he holds a fucking knife to her neck. <laughs> Truman has a break. Uh, our guy, who we are led to believe, is not a violent person. He probably would have reacted to his uh, prison violent before if he was a violent man by nature. Uh, 
But man, he's driven, which is not to excuse the fact that he holds a knife to his spouse's neck, let's be clear, but she does gaslight the shit out of him. It's complicated, is it's, what I'm saying. It is, it is complicated, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's a tough situation. But I think he's also pressing for the uh, sort of culmination moment of that, right? Where she says, somebody please help me, right? Or whatever she says. Somebody yeah. do something. He wants to see how far reality will bend before it breaks. He wants to see what the rules of this world are. And again, it's Laura Linney's performance in that moment that does like, they both are great together in the, all of the scenes where she has to like try to keep up the fiction of the Truman fun time happy hour. Uh, when that's at odds with the way that Truman is actually behaving are, are really incredible. But I think that one, it does kind of land, uh, you know, the, the film and Peter Weir's indictment of the film, the show's commercialism, the Truman fun time happy hour both like the show's commercialism and really the commercialism of like commodifying people in such a way. It is kind of a, it's fun that it's like a narrative wraparound to that joke uh, that they've established earlier, but it is, as Dustin just said, Truman's trying to break the world. And it is Laura Linney saying help that does force the, 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 the production to intervene. Yeah. And I think that commodification of relationships is what I want to sort of transition to a little bit here, because that is what's wild to me. I mean, I, there's there's part of my mind that can give a little bit of a pass if you're going to raise a kid and do it on camera that's your mom right that that you know th- those are your parents now in making the choice to kill a parent we have definitely crossed a whole lot of ethical boundaries and then to cast someone for you to fall in love with to be your wife uh, and to eventually, you know, I want to catch an on-air c- conception is what Christoph's great dream is. Yeah, you know, for that, like that, that, that the son of Truman, he wants Truman 2.0. But but here's the thing: we do this. I mean, we 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 watch this and we go, "This is appalling. This is this is." Terrible. It's called the Bachelor. It's called the Bachelor. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, exactly the same kind of idea in which they have constructed these uh, scenarios and situations. Um, the producers are gaming the system to you know make certain pairs work and working people off the show because of personal reasons. You know, there's a whole si- section in there where Marlon uh, gets so sick from eating, you know. F- candy late at night or whatever with his or got pneumonia i guess from staying out um in the cold or whatever yeah. he's gone for a month and the whole time as you're watching his audience going oh that's when he got to go on vacation you know got to go where that a- child actor actually did get pneumonia I, and they had to bring in another one you know no, they just had to like have him not he couldn't come to work because he had pneumonia what what i assume is marlon's real parents were like no we want to go to tahoe and that's what they <laughs> Go to the Poconos, and, and so they they were going to go backpack and go to Disneyland, but there is no Disneyland in this world, and we you just can't say anything to Truman about it ever. There is a Mount Rushmore, though. There is a Mount Rushmore. I wonder. I bet it's just as small and shitty in Truman's world as it is in real life. <laughs> <laughs> it would be illegal for somebody to say someone should destroy Mount Rushmore, the monument, not the geographical structure. Uh, specifically saying you want to destroy the monument would be the crime, not saying you want to destroy the geographical structure, just in case anybody was wondering about the legality of that. Uh, it is really upsetting uh, when Noah Emmerich has to lie to Truman through, well, Kristoff's lying to Truman, but he's doing it through Noah Emmerich uh, to talk about this commodification of relationships. It is clear that Truman is his best friend also. Yeah. He's known Truman for his entire life. It's his only acting gig he will ever have. That's his best friend, and he has to 
fully lie to the dude's face and like right. what is a quiet tender sensitive moment between friends well I, I think that's where we can see that there are multiple layers of the exploitation here because i mean it's easy to say okay truman i mean obviously what we've done to this person is dehumanizing and awful but what we've done to marlin is pretty terrible i mean that that whatever's gone on with that particular character that's his whole life as you said and uh to have stolen uh, you know, what would be a normal kind of life instead of relationships that'd be full fulfillment and joys and pains and suffering and everything else that goes with, you know, a normal, ordinary relationship. And to make it scripted and to make it where you've got, you know, an earpiece in so you know what to say and when to say it and how to lie to your friend. I mean, it does, it, it, this is this is the way in which exploitation works, is that it creates um, mutual exploitations. I mean, that's, you know, this, yeah. is, this is a Marxist primer at this point, right? Well, and again, it does bring us back to The Bachelor, which is why I brought up the show Unreal, because it does show you those production tricks that happen behind the scenes. And obviously, you know, it's a television show. They have to find a narrative. So obviously the production staff gets caught up in the drama of uh, all the sexy shenanigans happening in the show that's definitely not The Bachelor within the show. Um, but but it, it is interesting to to think about those things as, they, again, as they exist in our real world. The Truman Show is just giving you a primer, as Dustin said, sometimes a Marcus primer, uh, but a primer on these mutual exploitation, mutually exploitative relationships that, of course, crop up, both within reality television, but to take it one step further, into the real world of influencers and parasocial relationships. And I mean, fuck, some of you give us money to help us make this show. That is a parasocial relationship. And, and it is uh, at our great behest that we tread carefully to not abuse those relationships. Uh, I'm using the wrong words here. My point is, uh, it's something you have to be mindful about when you make things for the internet. I promise you that television makers are probably only as careful about it as they have to be uh, to protect themselves from unions. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the entertainment industry. It is an exploit. It's, you know, it's, it's not just the reality that is exploitative. Jim Carrey is exploita exploited. Uh, if you want to know what happens to Truman, the Truman Show Part 2, look at the many personal struggles of being Jim Carrey. Yeah. And I, I think there's also this kind of indictment of, uh, of the early studio era where, the, for all intents and purposes, the studios did own these children's actors. And you can think of a Judy Garland or uh, Mickey Rooney and, and see how their lives were controlled and manipulated by the studio and in very similar ways to what's happened with Truman here. And I think to your point, yeah, I mean, how does this guy walk into the real world and cope? And, and it's a very dangerous and scary scenario. And the film plays it that it's going to be very heartwarming and fulfilling as, uh, what's her name from Fiji goes to meet him at the studio. Uh, we can assume, but uh, there's no way he adapts that well or that quickly. Yeah, I mean, even if uh, Natasha McElhone, I always forget how to say her McElhone, last name. McElhone, I think. McElhone, yeah. You, you know, you'd think I'd have like some sort of DNA ability to read names, last names like that, but no such luck. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting, like her role within the film as like a hate watcher of the Truman Show, right? Because uh, whether you, how, however you consume 90 Day Fiance, be it ironic or genuine or somewhere in between, you help support 90 Day Fiance by tweeting about it, by talking about it, by like you become yourself a cog in the machine of the reality TV show production. Um, so even if you are morally, ethically, politically opposed to such exploitation, 
I mean, again, it, it does bring us about, if we want to talk about another Marxist concept, it does bring us around to the, these ideas of uh, ethical consumption, right? Uh, and how that's probably a, a farce at best. It is troubling, though, the, the way in which these, again, these relationships just like keep compounding. It isn't just like that uh, they start to exist, so their existence further like multiplies more abusive relationships. As Dustin said, you can see like, okay, well, this person's kind of his parent, right? But not really. I mean, the woman who has been hired to play his mother, her main job is not to rear and keep safe Truman. It is to protect the fiction of the Truman Show. Right. Kristoff is the closest thing Truman has to a parent, and that's a bad parent. Yeah, truly, truly absent and an obscene, you know, sort of father figure for sure, you know, uh, going on there. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit, though, and I want to talk about privacy a little bit because one of the things, you know, as as the movie opens, we have this interview with Kristoff, and he's a in, deeply, intensely private man and doesn't normally grant interviews. And yet the entirety of Truman's life, he has no secrets. There are no there there is no part of his life that's not you know out there for public consumption yeah and i i think the the movie does begin to raise questions of just our contemporary moment and 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 some of the pros and cons thereof i mean the part of the reason why we're in the political moment that we are right now is because um not because police have started doing things that they didn't used to do before it's just now they're getting caught on tape or not taped i mean that's dating video money. yeah yeah they're, 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 everyone's got a camera yeah, in the they pot. got I was say they got caught on tape thirty years ago. One of the previous times we had this conversation, right? I was, you know, the one we keep having for like a hundred years now. I no was, big deal. I was really tempted to do a syllabus that was about the surveillance state or that idea, and I thought a lot about obviously. I watched Enemy of the State over the week weekend, uh, but also I thought a lot about the Circle, um, the book mm. and, and the film, uh, which really exists in the kind of the penultimate version of this, where everybody is monitored 24-7, so anytime anything takes place, they're instantly filmed and can be brought to justice or, you know, whatever it may be. And that felt kind of like a natural the progression point from where the Truman Show goes if it is, you know, quote-unquote successful. And, yeah. and I think that kind of goes in line with what you're bringing up here. Absolutely. And I, I just want to just throw it out there, you know, just sort of in terms of just a discussion point. I don't know where we where we go with it, but, I mean, certainly... People need secrets. I, I, I mean, I hate to be the one to say it, but people need parts of their lives that are just theirs. And at the same time, we, we, we benefit from, you know, this, again, Black Lives Matter. And the reason why uh, this moment is occurring is because um, things that were being done in the dark are now being done in public. I mean, that was sort of the thing Martin Luther King Jr. used to say about his uh, um, protests, his counter-protests and those kind of things, uh, the bus protests, is just to make people do what they've been doing in secret in the light of day. You know, that's a good thing, and it, that exposure, you know, brings about justice. But at the same time, I don't want everyone to know everything I've ever done. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dirtbag. <laughs> well, yeah, speaking as a dirtbag, I, I think this is exactly uh, the problem that this film presents us with, right? Is these relationships become abusive when there are no boundaries uh, or when boundaries exist but are not respected? Truman is not given any, even the option of boundaries within his relationship to everyone in this world. His wife and his mother and his best friend know everything about him because there's a TV show about his life in which they're the, star, the starring actors, 
right the, truman's inability uh, and by virtue you know any a person's inability to keep secrets doesn't allow them to have like good functional relationships within their life if they're not if they don't have the ability to reveal the pain that they have because as you know, Dustin just said sometimes people keep secrets because like they're painful things uh to think about and to talk about and those should be things that people get to reveal at their discretion sometimes um this isn't like a cancel culture's bad uh, tangent that I'm going on. Um, I don't know. That's a whole different conversation about how it's not even a real thing, but when it is a real thing, maybe it's complicated. We don't need to get into that. But what we are getting into is, yeah, the, the necessity of privacy. Uh, just because you can post everything doesn't mean you should, because uh, you might, you know, not want to have done that at some point, especially as a dirtbag who's, you know, now been on Twitter for like a decade. Uh, my 20s, yeah. a, a decade of growth. Discretion is the better part of valor sometimes. Yeah. There you have it. For sure, for sure. Well, and, uh, you know, to that point, Arthur, uh, it is funny to think about Truman's inability to, like, really express himself. Uh, I'm glad you deployed uh, that very, very good saying just now. Uh, but Truman mostly speaks, uh, not mostly, has a lot of catchphrases that have just kind of been, like, beaten to his brain. Yeah. I like to imagine that his dad used to say that good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night thing when he left for work. Yeah. Uh, Peter Weir had like a 10 page history uh, for most characters in this movie. Uh, and I imagine that that was why Truman says that, right? Is because they taught Truman to say that. Yeah. Truman doesn't even like have the privacy. Yeah. They couldn't put a camera within Truman's brain. They fucking like formed his brain in the way it works. That's for sure. You got to sell shirts, man. Well, there you have it, Arthur. Somebody's got to buy that shirt. Uh, it does bring us to the sad. I mean, it brings us to the sad existence of like the Truman super fans, right? Which are probably the people that are at that bar all the time and the bathtub man. Well, the old the old lady couple who have all of the Truman pillows and they have a the cross stitch of uh, Meryl's name on their couch and. Yeah, I started thinking about the two of them because they had to have started watching the show when they were like in their 40s, right? Like late 30s, early mid, let's say early 40s 30s to, to mid 40s. I think, yeah. Yeah, they're old enough that they've been watching the show their entire adult lives. Like that's their like surrogate grandson. It is, yeah. Example like, is the further you zoom out on this film, these things that like upset you don't aren't plot holes, listener. That's just the movie. The text of the movie is a horror film. Uh, it just happens to operate as like a, a studio dramedy. You think about the way we react to characters, you know, we, whether it's a video game that you play for 20 to 40 hours, and it's a TV show that you watch, you know, 70, 80 hours of over the course of X years. Even in that amount of time, you're not spending even a fraction of the time with those things as you are. These people are with Truman. And I think that lends itself to a whole nother level of, of, uh, attachment like you said uh, probably very family-esque in a lot of ways sure i mean and again it does as much as it predicts or describes reality television it really does kind of describe influencer culture right that just by being cool and hot and interesting companies want you to like fucking put it on the gram about how much you love their energy drink made of bull semen like that's just <laughs> Y'all, that's 2020. It's not even like they didn't have to build the Truman Show. They just like gave you the option to opt into being Truman if you wanted to try. For sure. And I'm throwing up my hands in disgust because like I don't I, I got nothing for you on that one. Well, and, and sort of the ultimate moment, right, where Truman finally hits the wall of the set, right, and has this confrontation with the creator of a television program, right? I'm a slasher. 
of prices is is what that line is to me. Uh, the creator and, of the television program. Yeah, yeah it's so funny. Uh, and 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 when he finally does walk off the set, everybody's high fiving in the bar, and everybody's leaving. You know, I mean, like this moment is like victorious for Truman, even though it's the end of the program, and they like that for him. But what I thought to myself as we went back to the two security guards or whatever, what else is on TV? Is how yeah, great final line as I mentioned. It is. Uh, it is perfect, and probably describe. I think I know where Dustin's going, but it does kind of interestingly describe a lot of viewers fake viewers of the Truman time fun time happy hour a lot of people are just like well that was an interesting 30 years i guess i'll go find the next show but dustin i think i know where you're going well i it, it's it, they're still in the matrix i mean that's what the what we're, we we're seeing here is that you know truman finds his way out but um he finds his way out into a world in which everyone's already jacked into something else that is as artificial he finds his way out into a world where they built the Truman Show. Who wants to live there? Right. <laughs> uh, which which is Christoph's point to some extent, which I think does kind of get us into, uh, let's say, theologically narrow conceptions of the divine and or abusive parental relationships. Uh, the character of Christoph, mm-hmm. which is an interesting one in that he thinks what he's doing is a good thing. Because he lives in the world where they made the Truman Show, and he knows that's not a good place to live in. Right. And and, and so it, it seems to me, though, I mean, you know, to get, get metaphysical with it, it is the sort of process of enlightenment, right? It's sort of realizing, you know, much of what's around you is illusory, and much, you know, again, Plato's cave comes to mind here. And that the job of the philosopher is to sort of find the real essential forms, uh, whether or not you're an idealist or a materialist, uh, is, is, you know, we'll set that all aside in those, those other debates. But this idea that you've sort of got to get past uh, the way in which uh, the hegemonic principles of the world is being pulled over your eyes. And again, materialism sort of engages with this just as much as idealism does in the sort of broad philosophical categories. And but once you get beyond that, what you find is another set of illusions, another set of strictures, another set of you've got to keep moving up and moving, you know, further up, further in to um, paraphrase C.S. Lewis weirdly uh, at a moment like this, um, that that's the, the next sort of thing. And so Truman, sure, he's out and probably will be uh, very, very bodhisattva, you know, and sort of his opinions and understands the world now that he's in the quote unquote real world but that being said he's still there and still bound again by this sort of stuff and most of the people who are um you know locked into the truman bar and those kind of things are not going to be wanting to hear the voice of the philosopher who says hey all that stuff that's being that you're seeing on the wall in front of you those are just shadows and illusions they don't want to hear that foolishness and are not going to want to pay attention to the philosopher you know again going back to socrates or plato i guess oh yeah uh fucking i I don't know talk to like one out of every three that feels like a generous i'll I'll give it even more generous talking to one out of every 10 christians i'm being far too generous they don't want to hear what the philosopher has to say Mm y'all they don't uh truman can come out of the cave and say you're also in the cave with me dipshits they don't want to hear it nobody will want to hear it uh truman might be psychically broken by the revelation of just like how how big this goes uh, and how popular the show was. It, it might be too daunting a thing to learn uh, at how popular this television program was. 
I'm just thinking in terms of lost wages in that lawsuit that he would win um, directly after following. He could live on his own little whatever and, you know, his own private life as he should. Because, I mean, we're talking about a 30-year program um, bringing in whatever kind of dollars of revenue at, at that time. Yeah, he's, God, yeah. His settlement would be astronomical. He will live comfortably you- what, however he wants to live. I am now thinking about the residual checks, obviously, that all of these actors are getting for this show. It has got to be an extremely complicated contract, uh, logistically speaking, a nightmare. Uh, but Dustin's right. Yeah, Truman is owed pack wages for sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, he'll he'll make his, you know, I mean, he'll be able to make whatever life he wants to make for himself, I think, for the most part. I mean, I think the thing, I mean, Kristoff within the film, right? Kristoff is kind of challenged. And I feel like we are kind of bringing the train into the station. We're just now kind of like, we've, we've taken all of these disparate bits of analysis together. And Dustin has kind of very nicely strung them together into this kind of metaphysical question we're not talking about, about what is real. And Kristoff says, you know, well, Truman accepts his reality because it's the reality he's been presented with. Uh, and again, we've kind of now talked about the world as you zoom out, what's that going to look like now that Truman's out of the bubble? Uh, and if we want to bring it back to police violence that Dustin was talking about earlier, let's okay, let's go with that one. Uh, if you zoom out further, even if you solve that problem, or the reason some so many people have a hard time like having conversations about, uh, hey, defunding the police is a good idea and a necessary idea, and probably uh, widespread abolition of law enforcement is our only option. Uh, that's hard for people to hear, and I think the, the reason being is when you lead with some of that language up front, it makes it unclear that this is only the first matrix you have to get out of. Mm-hmm. You have to like start with baby steps because once you explain to people what the real problem with the police is, there's not a problem. This is, it's working how it's supposed to work. They're doing what their job is, which is to beat the shit out of you when you say I'm not happy. And then you have to go, well, why would that be their job? And the further you go out, the more you realize that the whole damn painting uh, is just one big butt. Uh, and, and it does, you know, once the sailboat uh, stops being a sailboat and becomes a butt, uh, um, I've lost the thread on the metaphor. But yeah, it, it does become troubling in terms of where it, it does enter a turtles all the way down situation, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, which is why I think in these conversations, whether it's keeping it allegorical, this film or Plato's Allegory of the Cave, or these conversations about systemic inequalities, you kind of do have to... B- uh, chop it up piecemeal and that is why it works that this film is funny for so much of its runtime before it kind of introduces the horrifying aspects of it uh, because you do have to kind of digest these things in piecemeal if you take it all in at once you might hurt yourself right well that uh, was that was a joke that was a sex joke i, I, th- I thought that was clear yeah i'm with you i'm with you. okay <laughs> <laughs> you know to, to 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 bring it to a different register philosophically if we want to speak in lacanian terms you know, that symbolic order, no matter what you do to sort of identify its constructed nature, you still find yourself inscribed in more different kinds of symbolic language, you know, uh, confines. And so that's what the continual, you know, uh, butting up against the real, you know, with capital R, uh, that that continual, you know, task is, is what we've got to do for self-actualization. And the choice is to say, OK, so the way things are are somewhat arbitrary. Um, and sometimes they are, again, part of power structures and sort of intentionally placed, but again, arbitrarily pro- placed. And that the way things are are not the way things have to be. And so the challenge to the real, the real challenge uh, to the real, um, now I'm moving away from Lacanian language and I want to distract with the imaginary, but it's imagination, is just to sort of conceive of something else and then 
Yeah, you're... borrow my boy uh, Mills uh, from last week in the sociological imagination. Yeah. Yeah, and then and imagine else and other, and then work your way toward that. And then, of course, once you do that, you'll find yourself reinscribed in other symbolic stuff, and you'll have to do something else. Uh, but that's, um, you know, if, if the Truman Show uh, movie has a rhetoric of an argument of uh, a call to action, that seems to be it, is to sort of push against the boundaries of the envelope, whatever envelope you find yourself in. And, of course, knowing that you're going to find yourself in new envelopes, but keep pushing. Um, that is the task, uh, and that you know, and recognize just how comfortable those places are, and how, uh, like the Matrix or like the world, the Truman Show, all those forces around you, all those other persons around you who are part of that system, are going to do everything they can to keep you from making, you know, upsetting the apple cart, keep you from pushing forward. And so, you know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how the guy that's always pushing is kind of a punk, and everybody hates that guy. But at the same time, you still got to press some. You still got to keep pushing some. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that conversation last week, Dustin, because, yeah, we're, this is not the point in the show where we tell you you have to read some fucking you know, middle manager's class about how to become an anti-racist. Uh, that's a grift, too. Uh, a lot of those are just trying to sell you books or to get somebody to come to your workplace and uh, you know, tell you how they, as a white person, know how it feels to be a shitty white person or some dumb thing. Uh, that person is annoying. That person that is always pushing is annoying. But uh, that ballast is good. Uh, there has to be somebody to say, hey, man, it's okay that you feel weird about what's happening right now. It is weird, and it's not okay. Like, it is because the, the push doesn't have to be a mean push. It can be a reassuring pat, you know? I, I think that is my dumb way of synthesizing what Dustin just said. I think that works. Any other big thoughts on the Truman Show before we uh, move on no, to a verdict? we absolutely have to move on. We've got tournament talk to get to. All right, let's move on then. Um, tournament talk it is because we've got another poll. Well, you know, shelf we, it we first, want right? to, uh, oh, oh, yeah, it's verdict. Uh, yeah. Shelf or trash, Dalton? Yeah, shelf. Listen to this conversation we just had. I'm high on my own farts right now, y'all. Like, this was <laughs> a stimulating conversation. Uh, I had a good time with my friends. Uh, it's a good movie uh, that makes your brain think real hard if, you, if you're watching close. Uh, and it's funny some of Jim Carrey's best work and uh, makes me yet again mad that I haven't caught up with uh, Picnic and Hanging Rock. Uh, shelf it. It's a good movie. Uh, both of them are. Uh, very good. What do you say, Arthur? Oh, most definitely putting this on the shelf. I, I, like I said at the top of the show, uh, this is an all-timer for me. I, I love it quite a bit, so it's it's definitely a shelfable film. Uh, shelf, 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 shelf. Um, yes, I say shelf as well. It's, it's a great movie, and again, our conversation is evidence thereof. So, moving on, tournament talk, because uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week, and nobody else does. That's the great thing about this tournament. So this is, uh, you're going to be listening to this on, uh, what is today, the 6th of July. I'm going to drop this episode, so you have time to listen to our conversation and our breakdown here in a moment, and go vote. Dalton will tell you about how you can do that later. Uh, but this is week two. I'm going to give you the uh, rundown of the matchups, and then we're going to talk a little bit of shop about how some of these uh, picks came into play uh, because we had to uh, go back to the drawing board. So uh, round two matchups. We've got Leon the Professional versus Basic Instinct. Inside hot. Man versus Heat. Super hot. Sin City versus Pitch Black. Mm, less hot. I'm excited. I hope Pitch Black does well, but anyway. Fast Times at Ridgemont High versus Spirited Away. Oh, super hot. Booksmart versus Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Too sexy, too hot. Must must retreat. Strange Days versus Inception. Okay, that's good. That is less hot. Men in Black versus Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, dear God, I can't take any more, Arthur. 
Marie Antoinette versus The Fugitive. And I'm on fire. He's on fire. So that is our uh, round two matchups. Uh, it looked a little drastically different uh, last week, uh, but when we ran last week's poll, uh, we had some commentary from uh, friends of the show, listeners of the show, uh, who yeah. were like, hey, this is really guy heavy, don't you think? And I didn't think, uh, you know, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast and, you know, was never our intent to, you know, non, not be inten- uh, intentionally inclusive in, in that regard. But we were not intentionally because, inclusive. That was yeah. the thing. We were just looking at a list of it. things. Yeah. Well, because we are, and I think, as Arthur pointed out, we do try to be extremely intentional uh, in the programming of this show. But when it came down to the building of these brackets, uh, us three dum-dums just got together and said, what are some movies that it doesn't make sense that we haven't talked about yet? And obviously, a lot of that includes what are movies that we all really enjoy. Or, you know, each list of movies that uh, Dustin and I gave Arthur and the, Arthur, the list Arthur made for himself include movies that we like, presumably. Uh, we do try to watch things that we're interested in on this, and I think that has a lot to do with it. But, uh, uh, again, I do want to shout out uh, IRL friend uh, in front of the podcast, Michelle. I'm not going to... Uh, them. I don't know if their Twitter handle is off the top of my head and it's set to private anyway. Uh, but Michelle was the one to point this out and uh, it did lead to uh, uh, other friends of Good Trash, uh, Kirsten and Keith and, uh, and I having a really interesting conversation about genre. Uh, as Arthur said, you know, there, there was no ill intent, but as Dustin has pointed out, we were not intentional. And I think part of the being intentional is thinking about what you categorize as genre films. Uh, because that really was kind of where we started from. We wanted our tournament picks to kind of fit in that cult and or genre cinema not something you would typically cover in a film studies class uh you know rubric that we present for ourselves on the show uh and i think one issue is a lot of female centric uh and female directed films are kind of considered to be canon or at the very least in the conversation especially some of the the recent uh there's been a really great recent wave of female centric and female directed films over the last five years or so um we've talked about some of them on this show and some of the ones we've talked about were definitely cheats uh especially girlhood raw i mean i I don't know why i went to the international film well immediately uh yes i do because those films are usually uh, kind of arty or in italics uh but but again all that to be said kirsten pointed out there's plenty of like 90s films that are definitively genre but their femaleness kind of excludes them from being called genre things like uh, drop dead gorgeous or jawbreaker or sugar and spice uh the ed josie and the pussycats which we did put on the, on the board these are all films that are definitely genre uh but they they kind of get brushed over in that conversation in that categorization uh that taxonomy that happens online of like what even is a movie what even is a genre these are films that don't get brought up in that conversation. And as Dustin said, it's, it is a need for that intentionality that led to this bracket restructuring we did. Uh, do you want to talk more about kind of some of the things that we got rid of Arthur or? Yeah, I'll, I'll look think at that's interesting. I'll look at this week specifically. Uh, I think week three actually has the biggest shift overall. I think we dropped the most titles there and subbed in the most. Um, and so I don't have all that right here in front of me. Week four, I made a few alterations uh week two i made a couple more even after we had the initial discussion so we dropped out we dropped saving private ryan we dropped goldeneye seven air force one uh superman 78 76 70 something uh, and fargo those were all in the initial seating of this bracket uh and then they felt like the best you know options to kind of pull saving private ryan you know it just doesn't feel 
us anyway. It was just a big movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, GoldenEye does feel like us, but we've done James Bond. No big loss here. Same thing. Seven, we've done Fincher. We can always do, you know, it'll probably we've happen. We've done Zodiac. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've done a Fincher murder movie at that. Yeah. yeah. We've got Air Force One here, but we've all got The Fugitive, just a couple. You know, so we've already got the Harrison Ford thing going on. We've got a couple of other comic book movies, you know. We'll be getting to Wonder Woman and Joker, and I I think I took out Iron Man. But we do have some other, you know, 300 uh, comic book stuff later in the tournament. And then Fargo was kind of in that same area as Saving Private Ryan. Like, it doesn't really feel like the type of thing we would normally do. We would do other Cohen stuff. You know, we would probably do Hail Caesar. Uh, we'd probably do Oh Brother. But Fargo didn't really feel the like The man it. who knew too much. Yeah, it didn't yeah. really feel like it felt in that same niche. Uh, so I, I felt pretty good taking all those out um, to sub in some of these others uh, into the matchups. And, and what we added, obviously, Fast Times at Richmond High, Book Smart, uh, Strange Days, Josie and the Pussycats, Marie Antoinette. The other thing I noticed, and, and again, just us failing, was we didn't really have any directors of color, people of color. I, I've got Koran in there, uh, Miyazaki, obviously, um, but we didn't have any black directors. And so I went in, I got Spike Lee, I got Anton Fuqua, I got John Singleton. Uh, later in the tournament so we kind of get some more diverse voices uh, behind the camera in that regard as well so that's where inside man came from uh to go up against heat which i think is a really fun matchup it is good Uh, it's extremely good matchup i'm mad we didn't think of it in in the first place and i think listener that just goes to show you whether you're programming a podcast or just putting on movies for your quarantine entertainment uh it is it is useful but more than useful more than instructive you're just going to watch better movies. I would much rather have Inside Man versus Heat than I think it was Saving Private Saving Private Ryan versus Heat. Yeah, I think yeah, we're kind yeah. of doing like the three-hour action epic team up. I like the bank robbery uh, toe-to-toe voting like way better. Like we just got kind of like more narratively interesting picks because um, our, our seating was totally random uh, at first. And I did the. Uh, Arthur, did you uh, re-randomize, or did you go ahead and pull out and put in? I just kind of one to one. You know the the thing about the seating. You know, we I completely randomized sixty four titles, and we got some you know just bonkers matchups, which was really kind of fun on paper. You know, I, I think what uh, Spirited Away was initially against uh, Goldeneye or something, which is just a really fun. There's no real thematic connection there in any regard, so I think that's a really fun, just like kill your darlings type of pick. And so I tried to model some of that. You know, I I wanted to, I kind of asked you, you know, where should we put Strange Days? Should we do that against Inception? I think Inception. Yeah, we did kind of talk about that. Air Force One. Uh, You know, Booksmart felt like a nice companion to Ferris Wheeler's Day Off. Totally. So there was some, okay, these kind of match up in interesting ways. Then there were some that were like, oh, these would just be fun to see how they go head to head. You know, uh, in in, uh, week three, uh, in the first round, we're going to have the Bag- the Babadook versus Monster, uh, which I think is just a, a hoot of a, a matchup. It's a matchup. Yeah. So, you know, there was some intentionality in, in placing them together, but also some, oh, I think that would just be a fun battle, essentially. Well, it is kind of fun that uh, Fast Times and Spirited Away is on, honestly an accidental pairing because, uh, well, automatically, there's some stuff going on there. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, girl becoming woman movies, right? There's some shit going on. We got some stuff. I'm excited about these matchups. I'm excited we went back to the drawing board. Uh, listener, if this has been a stimulating conversation, uh, it was for us. Uh, it led to a, a fruitful week. You can go to at good underscore trash on the Twitter. That's how you vote on these uh, selections we've talked about. It's how you message us to let us know 
what what you would what what you would expect, what you would like to be different, what's interesting to you, where we've fallen short, where we might have uh, had an interesting thought that we should have expounded upon. All of that and more at good underscore trash. You can also email us your long form feedback, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. I said last week you could vote via email. Arthur, we didn't get any email votes, did we? No, we did not. Also, that seems like way too much work for you to have to keep an eye on. These votes are coming in fast on Twitter. Listener, make a burner account. You won't get sucked in, I promise. It's bad. It's hard to join at this point. At good underscore trash. Make that burner account. Vote. Get all your friends to vote, even if it's just because they're a fan of a movie. I don't give a shit. I'll get other people will bring their friends in. It'll get stupid and convoluted. That's at good underscore trash to take part in the, in the voting. Uh, let us know what you like about a show, what you're interested in. Uh, also, where you can find uh links to other shows that we make that's right other stuff is coming out under the good trash umbrella once again it's not just the three of us uh we've got some really wonderful stuff uh the praise down uh, is coming back they have figured out how to do uh, their remote records uh so that that is coming back sooner rather than later in fact i haven't uh, heard parts of the episode that they already recorded uh but we also have a new show uh coming from good trash uh I'm excited about this one. Uh, it is called Wheel of Randy. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, Dan Wade, uh, who is one of the finest people in Oklahoma City, uh, is going to be hosting a show called The Wheel of Randy, in which he makes people talk about Randy Newman with him. Uh, we've dropped uh, his first couple of episodes uh, on the Twitter. Uh, he's on Shouted Engine right now. Go check that out. So that's that's more good trash stuff. That's how you get in touch with us on the internet. Uh, if you want to be one of those patrons I name-checked earlier, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM, blah, 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 blah. There's rewards. Who cares? Uh, if you, While you're on Twitter, find somebody that needs your money to give money to. We don't need your money. You can give it to us if you want to listen to us play. Uh, I almost said Dungeons and Dragons. I meant Monster of the Week. If you want to listen to us play Monster of the Week, you can give us money. Otherwise, give it to somebody who needs it. Um, that's all the social media stuff. Uh, normally, now, Dustin, is when we would do talking about what's next but we already did that i guess i don't know how do we sign off if we don't already know what movie we're doing i think you should just keep watching and we'll keep talking and we'll see you next time couldn't stop me talking if you tried 